With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to another week of Lockdown Life and welcome to another week of Football Social Daily podcasts. Daily updates from the Premier League and daily little escapes from the absolute mess we're living in right now. On duty today for the latest news, opinions, gossip and everything we cram into this little podcast. We've got Marley Anderson. How are you doing, M-Dog? Hello. And we've got Nile McCorn as well. You're right, now. Very good. Morning, boys. Morning, morning. It's a gunner's fest on the podcast today. Not only are we going to be chatting Arsenal in today's floodlight focus very shortly, but we've got their embarrassing loss to deal with too. Hammered by Aston Villa last night in a performance that Mikel Arteta said was not something befitting of a big club. Are Arsenal still a big club? We'll tackle that one shortly. We're also going to be looking at Klopp and Pep's... We're also going to be looking at Klopp (laughs) and Pep's complaints that their players are on the edge because of their punishing fixture congestion that this season is offering up. Do they have a point or are they just making excuses for their team's quite indifferent start to this season? And as we hit the international break, we're going to take a little step back we're going to look at the league after the eight games we've had so far and decide if the teams at the top and the bottom are going to stay there or whether they should expect a different league position come the end of the season. But let's talk about last night. I don't think many people saw this one coming. Arsenal nil, Aston Villa 3. How are Aston Villa doing this, Marley? You put something on our Twitter feed, at the Sports Social, suggesting that whenever Aston Villa face a big club, they turn into Barcelona. <coughs> And it doesn't seem far off that at the moment. It's honestly not that far off. You see, you see what they do, and it's just they're they're very brave in in the way they play, and they seem to just notch it, uh, turn it up a notch when whenever they play a big team. You see what they did to Liverpool. Um, I mean, how many times have Liverpool conceded seven goals in the history? Never mind uh, the current state mm. of, of of their club. You know, Premier League champions, top of the league, and all the rest of it. They were incredible then. They were very, very good last night. Ross Barkley looked like the player who he could have been when he left um, Everton all them years ago, and he was one of the most hyped players in the country. 
Um, they absolutely blew Arsenal away. I mean, Arsenal were horrifically poor, like really, really bad. However, for every bit of for for every sort of um, ounce that Arsenal were bad, Aston Villa were were brilliant. Um, they they could have been ahead inside a minute that got chalked off, um, and it, it, it that was the warning sign for them, mm. like that Arsenal were in for a game, and I don't think they ever reacted to it. I think. Kieran Tierney managing to trip himself up three times in one movement um, summed up the way Arsenal played and the way the way their sort of um, ninety minutes went. And Aston Villa just they had it easy in the end. I think Arsenal made it a little bit too easy for them. And, and Villa were like, "Well, if you're going to make it easy for us, then we're going to beat you, you know, pretty comfortably." And they did manage to do that. Watkins scored a couple of goals as as well. And as we said when when he played Liverpool, he in an open game, Ollie Watkins is a, a real threat with his with his pace and his movement. Um, and fair play to Villa, I think they struggle against teams that give them a bit more respect. But if you don't give them that respect, they they can they can really hurt you. We seem to get caught in this repeated cycle of whenever Aston Villa beat a big team, we kind of go ah. It was just the other team being bad. And we've almost strayed into that territory again. We're going, Arsenal were just rubbish. But we have to give Aston Villa credit for the way they're playing because they've done it against Liverpool, as Marley said. They've done it against Arsenal now. They Who was the other big team they, they put in a decent performance game? Was it was it Manchester City? But they, they, see, they do seem to be able to do it on regular occurrences. And they had that little mini... Dip. They beat Leicester. Beat Leicester, that's the one I'm thinking of. And then they had little dips against Leeds and Southampton. But we do need to give them full credit because it was another professional, effective performance last night. Yeah, 100%. And I think if you look at the statistics after Project Restart, Aston Villa have scored more goals and conceded fewer goals than Arsenal since Project Restart, which was, what, July? So in the last, we're getting on for close to six months now, or at least five months, that Aston Villa have been better than Arsenal. And I said this on the Sports Social preview show on Saturday ahead of the weekend's action. I said, you'd expect Arsenal to win this game because it's Arsenal. And we always say that they seem to be showing green shoots of progress under Mikel Arteta, which they are. I think they're playing better football and you can see what Mikel Arteta is trying to do. But I wouldn't be shocked if Aston Villa won the game. And lo and behold, Aston Villa go and win the game. And I think the thing is with Arsenal is that their inconsistencies have not gone away, regardless of the fact that Mikel Arteta is the manager. We, we can talk about Villa in a sec, but just quickly on Arsenal. Unai Emery, who they sacked, is managing Villarreal and they're second in the Spanish league. They're ahead of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and they're a point off top spot in La Liga. So... I know the season's been upside down all over Europe. I mean, you're looking at the likes of Barcelona, 11th or whatever they are in La Liga. It looks a bit weird. Probably the same with Manchester City, um, who are sitting mid-table, and you wouldn't expect that. Manchester United in the bottom half, for example. So, although it's hard to take a barometer of how the European football scene is looking, you can't write off the way that Aston Villa have performed. And I think that the reason that they're performing so well is they've added an extra foil to Grealish in Ross Barkley. And I think Ross Barkley has got this freedom um, to get the ball to Grealish in progressive areas. Whereas before, it was almost solely reliant on John McGinn to get the ball to Jack Grealish and Jack Grealish then to unlock the defence and make something happen. They've now got sort of double trouble Mm. with Ross Barkley there as well. They've got an extra outlet, I suppose, in terms of getting the ball to Grealish. And if it's not Grealish that's doing something that you need to worry about, it's Barkley. And their recruitment has been excellent. You talk about the last 
two transfer windows that Villa have had, their recruitment's been shocking. It's been poor until this window just gone, this summer, where they really identified the problem positions and they addressed them. Ollie Watkins, some might say that was a risk. You know, you look at Southampton, who spent 20 million on Che Adams and didn't score a goal in the Premier League until the last game of last season. Um, and so I would argue that was a bit of a flop and I still don't think he's really proven himself in the Premier League. But you look at Watkins, who went for a similar fee, if not slightly more, and he's hit the ground running. And that was a, a risk that Villa were prepared to take. They felt that he suited their system and he scored a couple of goals uh, against Arsenal. The frustrating thing about Arsenal is, like I said before, it doesn't really matter whether you say about them showing progression under Mikel Arteta, because they clearly are. But at the same time, they're, they're treading water. They've not got any better in terms of league position well, and results. Well, why is that, Niall? You've, you've, picked, you've picked apart why Aston Villa are good this season. Why are Arsenal, again, being the inconsistent team that we've known them to be for the last five years now? Because we were singing the praises of the Gunners last week about how they're mixing their youth and their experience, how they've brought in a couple of good players, but they just can't seem to shake that inconsistency. And they always feel like they've got one of these results in them. Yeah, definitely. They've got they've developed a soft underbelly, something that wasn't there 20 years ago under Arsene Wenger. And I think, you know, we can easily point the finger and say, well, when Wenger left, things went downhill for Arsenal. But in truth, things were starting to look a little bit rickety before he even left the club. But if you lose a cornerstone of a football club like that, you only have to look at Manchester United and the way that they've struggled since 2013 when Sir Alex Ferguson left. And it's such a cliche. But if you look at the managers that United have had and they've still not been able to hit the heights that they had before, sometimes it does, you know, a seismic change like that, losing a manager who's only one person, but they have such an impact on a football club. The culture of Arsenal is effectively the culture of Arsene Wenger. Because the George Graham Arsenal, I mean, we're going back a long time into my youth now, and I'll be honest, I don't really remember the George Graham Arsenal at all. But from what I've seen from highlights and footage, and from what I've heard from the Arsenal fans that were around at the time watching the Gunners, the philosophy, the style, the kind of culture around Arsenal Football Club changed when Arsene Wenger came into the club. And then Thierry Henry came yeah. in and it was the va-va-voom and it was this silky Arsenal style of play. And we've still got this cliche now about Arsenal that they like to walk the ball into the net which kind of shows you the style of play that Arsenal fans have become accustomed to under Arsene Wenger. But as we've seen, the game moves on, the game changes. And I think it's really difficult to kind of nail down a, a, a position in the Premier League in terms of people knowing exactly what you're about, people knowing exactly the way you're going to play. I mean, for instance, Burnley have done it. And it's not an attractive style of play and not one that many of us advocate in terms of being entertaining or great to watch. But they've done it. They've nailed down that style of play. You know exactly what you're going to get. And even though they're in the relegation zone, I still think they've got a good shot of staying up this season. I don't think I'm going to write them off too soon because we've seen them do this time and time and time again. The thing is with Arsenal is they haven't nailed that yet. I think Ars I think Mikel Arteta is doing that at Arsenal. I think that style of play, that entertainment factor, that philosophy is coming. It's on its way. They haven't nailed it down yet. But they've developed this soft underbelly in recent seasons. And whether that's come from a leaky defence over the last five years, which has taken them that long to sort out or not, I don't know. But definitely, you've got this feeling with Arsenal that they're, they're, they crumble a bit, especially away from home. Now, the fact that they lost 3-0 at the Emirates was a surprise to me because they don't normally do that at home. Maybe if there were fans in the stands, it would have been different. But, I mean, the thing is with Arsenal, Tim Cahill was banging on Sky Sports last week after they beat Manchester United, saying you can see the direction that Arsenal are going in. And he's absolutely right. You can. But it's like you stood at a crossroads and you're facing the right way. 
but you're not really taking any steps forward. I feel like that with Arsenal. They've done the 180, they're now on the right path, but they're not moving towards the target that they want to achieve. They're just kind of stood there. They need someone to come up behind and really give them a push to get them on their way. Whether that is this season or Mikel Arteta remains to be seen, but, you know, Aubameyang stops scoring. Something just doesn't feel mm. quite right there. And I think that they need a kickstarter, uh, you know, they kick up the ass to start the season, really, because you're eight games in and they've not really got going properly. Let's make sure we do give Aston Villa the credit they deserve for a very strong performance. And as you said, the signs were there early doors with the goal from John McGinn, which was ruled out for an offside for Ross Barkley, who didn't touch the ball but he was certainly the wrong side of the defensive line and kind of had to jump out the way, I guess. We've seen some dodgy VAR decisions again this weekend, just gone Marley. Did that feel like it was the right one? Uh, I think it was, yeah. Um, I think you can't... I don't think you can argue that Leno was obstructed by Barkley, uh, who was standing in, in an offside position, so he has less time to react. And obviously McGinn's... You could probably say... Would he have saved McGinn's shot um, if he had seen it, you know, from a few yards further away? But that that's irrelevant. It doesn't it doesn't matter because Barkley was stood in front of him, and and that's kind of what VAR is for. I think um, not you know not many people seeing it in real time. You 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 sort of seen it and the goal going in real time, and you thought, well, great goal. Um, nothing wrong with that. But then you seen. You see in the replay, and it's only through the replays that you can spot Barkley who's offside. And I don't think you can argue with it, to be honest. You might you might think it's harsh because, you know, technically he doesn't touch the ball. But um, the rules say that say that if you um, you obstruct the goalkeeper's line of vision, then that's uh, that's offside. So the only issue you can have with it is is inconsistencies with the rule. Um, for example, with um, West Ham this weekend with Haller um, not touching the ball but being in an offside position um, and not being given offside. Um, it's a similar situation to Barkley. I mean, the shot doesn't come in, but he's still interfering with play when Anderson heads it away. Um, and it's one of them he where you just hope... He wasn't leaping in front of the goalkeeper, though, was he? Yeah. Well, no, he wasn't, but he was offside. <coughs> Excuse me. He was offside and interfering with play, which is what Barkley is deemed to be as well. So it's it's, it's one of them where you, you just hope they, they apply the rule... Um, sensibly um, I agree I agree by the way I think it was definitely the right decision what shocks me though I don't know what you boys think of this how many goalkeepers don't know the rules when the goal went in Leno just kind of sort of tried to reach for it as you do see goalkeepers do nowadays and he kind of fell backwards didn't see him up remonstrating with the referee saying listen I couldn't see my view was because impeded so... I was just quite surprised I mean, because it's so poorly interpreted though and it varies, as Marley points out it varies from games to game I think is so. It? I think in general, it's just all well, over to, the shot. What, to what, be, the, to be fair. Peed in the line of vision. The only time I've ever seen a referee get that one wrong, and Marley will remember this, oh, would be I know what you're Newcastle say. against Man City, where Czech Tiote <laughs> yeah. scored an absolute screamer. Or, I can't remember who scored, but someone was in Joe Hart's vision when they weren't in his vision. And I can't remember what the referee was, but I remember watching that game. Um, and I remember thinking the referee's got that one completely wrong because Joe Hart's vision wasn't impeded. There was someone in the vicinity, whereas in this situation, there was someone in Leno's line of vision in an offside position, which was affecting his ability to do his job, which is to stop the ball going in the net. Now, in the Joe Hart one I'm talking about from seven, eight years ago, there was no one obstructing him in terms of the ability to do his job. So I think 
goalkeepers should under should should really it's a simple rule goalkeepers don't have to know m- many rules of the game that's one of them they should know i think personally and i don't think that's fair for you to say jim that you know the the rule is not being applied properly or it's or it's convoluted or it's inconsistent because we never ever see it um and, you know i think it's i think it's an easy one to police if someone mm. stood in the line of vision and now we've got these 360 cameras you know, we, we can use VAR for these sorts yep. of decisions. And I think as much as it was a great goal for Aston Villa and it would have been great to see them rewarded for that excellent piece of play, the right decision was made. It didn't matter in the end anyways. They went on to smash Arsenal. Now, as you say, it didn't have an impact in the end and there were plenty of positives for Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins looking like a really good signing now. Some really threatening running and turning of defenders. I think there's going to be a few big clubs that will be looking at him wondering why they didn't take a chance as well. But as you called earlier, Niall, Grealish and Barkley playing really well as a partnership now. Do we think we could see those two, I and mean, we know Grealish is in the England squad or certainly on the edge of the England squad, but could Ross Barkley work his work his way back in, and there could be a pairing there for the England midfield. Um, <laughs> it's Gareth Southgate we're talking about here, Jim. So I'm not sure. Oh gosh, um, he's playing well enough. He's certainly playing well enough. And if you kind of take what Gareth Southgate said a couple of years ago, or at least more than that now, when he took the England job, he said that he will be picking the players that are in form. However, picking players for the squad. Oh. And picking players for the starting eleven and those players that are going to be involved, I think, are two different things. You know, we've seen him pick players like Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, and the likes of that. I mean, what are Arsenal doing at this moment in time, as we've discussed discussed right now? What are they doing at this moment in time? And what's Maitland Niles done to warrant a place in the England squad? And that's no disrespect to him. He, he's a good player, very promising player, but he's not. I don't think he's good enough to play for England. Whereas Ross Barkley has experience. He's showing that he's able to bounce back. He's played for some big clubs in the Premier League. He's played for Everton. He's played for Chelsea and actually did okay for Chelsea, I think. Maybe not as well as people were hoping, but he did all right. And now he's on loan at Aston Villa and and doing great things. And I just think that, you know, if you're going to play Grealish, then why not pick Barkley? It's like, you know, if if, if Son Heung-min was English, he'd be in the team because of his link up with Harry Kane. It's been exceptional this Mm. season. And I think that... It's, not, it's like, you know, presenting a TV show with just Ant instead of Deck. It just doesn't really make much sense. You know, you're <laughs> going to kind of pick one. You have to pick the both of them. So, yeah, I, I think Barkley has done enough to, to, to be considered for another Well, I guess that's court. kind of the question, isn't it? Do. Because, because will, Jack, will Jack Grealish be in that England squad, Marley? Or will he be in the England team? We know he's in the squad, obviously, because he seems to be overlooked time and time again. But surely it's getting to the point where... Gareth Southgate can't overlook Jack Grealish anymore because he's got that spark. He offers something a little bit different. And yeah, sure, you've got Mason Mount, you've got Phil Foden, they're great players. But for me, Jack Grealish, head and shoulders above those players at the moment. Yeah, I think I think most people in the country who, who watch football will rank Grealish as, as more productive than, than Mount or, or even Foden um, at this point in time. I think... I don't know what Southgate's issue is. I think he, you know, he seems to to rate Mason Mount amazingly. I know Mount is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> the impact Grealish is having on Aston Villa is far superior to what Mount is on on Chelsea. I think Mount's being forced to play a little bit deeper to accommodate the guys who who Chelsea have signed this summer. Um, his his new sort of role, and that just proves to me that you know he's not quite as good as you know the, the the players ahead of him and I think it's it's similar for England but Southgate loves Southgate just loves Mount he's <laughs> like his uh, adopted son it's crazy he will not not he will not never be in that team he's he's just 
he's just cemented in that midfield. But it, I agree. I, I agree with what Niall said. I think it's, um, you know, Barkley's definitely playing well enough to um, to earn a squad uh, recall. And what are we? We're on Monday now, and it's usually this this twenty four thirty six hours that everybody who can't be bothered playing for England pulls out with a slight hamstring injury or a slight ankle issue. So it wouldn't surprise me if in 12 or 15 hours' time if Barkley is in the England squad again. Um, And I don't think anyone can can complain with that because the way he plays, he's playing at the minute, the way he played last night against Arsenal, he was magnificent. I I mentioned before his cross for Watkins' goal, uh, left foot volleyed cross, was just ridiculous. Um, That is literally a one-in a hundred chance of like you try that a hundred times you hit it once but he's playing that well that he, he will hit it like that cleanly and that accurately straight onto Watkins's head so um no complaints if he's back in it and and as we said last season Jack um Aston Villa just became the Jack Grealish show and once you take the the pressure off him you know Villa are now a three-pronged attack easily like with Barkley uh, Grealish and, and then Watkins up front you have to worry about all three you can't just focus all your efforts on shutting down Bar- um, shutting down Grealish and, and stopping Aston Villa playing you need to worry about the link up with, with Grealish and Watkins running in behind and, and that's for me that's one of the biggest reasons why Aston Villa have been uh, successful this that's, season Honestly I reckon Gareth Southgate's got shares in the words Mason Mount because you just ask him any question and he'll just respond with Mason Mount. It's just unbelievable. You ask him what he's having for dinner tonight, you go, well, Mason Mount played well, didn't he, to be honest. And it's just like, it's, well, it's Mason ridiculous. Mason Mount texted me a, a nice uh, recipe for a chicken Kiev. Oh, shut up, Gareth. Jesus Do you reckon his fantasy God. team is just full of Mason Mounts? This is all he's got. It's a team full of, full of Mason Mounts. It's a good name Mount. for an autobiography, that, isn't it? A team full of Mason Mounts or something like that. Maybe that will be Gareth Southgate's autobiography title. I think that's enough praise for Aston Villa right now. We've probably got a little bit more criticism for Arsenal left in us so let's save that for the end of the podcast because our floodlight focus feature is going to be chatting to you are my Arsenal Michael from there is going to give us the lowdown on the Gunners very shortly but next we're going to talk about fixture congestion and Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp moaning about the pressure that their teams are under we'll get onto that shortly on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, uh, keeping you up to date with the Premier League season that is coming thick and fast at the moment. And it is the thick and fast nature of the Premier League season that is upsetting two of the managers at the big clubs in the English League at the moment. Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, both complaining about fixture congestion and the fact their players are just really tired at the moment. I think they said their players were at the end of their limits or somehow up to their limits or something along those lines. Have they got a point with this one, Niall, or are they just making excuses? I think they've got a point in terms of if you look at the rest of football, especially the European leagues, they've got the five substitutions rule. However, in this country, we decided we didn't want to use the five substitutions rule and we felt that it didn't impact the game in a positive manner. We felt that it was there just for Project Restart whilst players had a long time away from the game, three months, of course, between Project Restart and when the season was suspended due to coronavirus. So that was the reason that five subs was was brought in. Let's not lose sight of that. That is the crux of the matter. The reason that five subs was brought in was to help those players who had had three months on the sidelines, not being able to go into training, that were only able to run on the treadmill, get on the exercise 
exercise bike at home. It was to help to stop injuries. Now, mm. these boys, Pep um, and Jurgen Klopp are talking about these elite players. I think the fact of the matter is that although the schedule is punishing these days, football is a lot more intense. It's a lot more rigorous. It's a lot more physically punishing than it used to be. I think personally anyway, particularly in terms of the explosivity of the game, not so much the tackles, because I don't think you're allowed to tackle anymore because you just get penalised. So... I don't think the physicality in that aspect um, is much bigger or better. I just think in terms of the explosivity uh, of, of muscles and turning and, and force and all of that stuff and, uh, you know, the, the stresses and strains that are put on an athlete's body are a lot more. And I think that that is kind of the argument that Pep and Klopp are getting at here. Um, however, in terms of them to kind of conspiring to complain about the English game, I see their point in terms of, as I mentioned, the rest of Europe has stuck with five subs. We've decided to stick with three. Um, much like we did with the transfer window, we decided to go on our own. Um, teams uh, in other leagues were like, OK, we're going to carry it on. We're going to keep the transfer window back to the way it was before. And it made English football weaker as a result. And therefore, we did a U-turn and changed the transfer window rules back to what they were before. I can see this happening here. I can see the pressure of these two mammoth managers, two of the biggest personalities in the game, let alone in the Premier League, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. Those two butting heads is exciting to watch. It's entertaining to watch. But those two putting their heads together and saying something collectively can be an extremely powerful thing. And I think it can be powerful enough to encourage the authorities to change their mind on this. As for whether I agree, agree with what they said, absolutely not. Pep has sat there on TV after making one substitution and complained that he hasn't got five to make. That was the weird thing, wasn't it, Marley? The fact that Pep Guardiola is there moaning about the fact he can't make more substitutions and yet he only made one change in his game at the weekend. It was baffling that he that um, Guardiola went mad about five subs when he did only make one. That was that was a bit mm. strange. Um I but I I agree with what Solskjaer was saying. Um, after the Everton game, I mean, he he went off on one like he did his little um, Alex Ferguson impression, didn't he? With his with his ranting at TV companies. Um, but he had a point. I think <laughs> if you play Wednesday night in the Champions League in Turkey, you can't have the you can't have the the um, the early game on a Saturday. I think no. in previous in previous seasons as well. I don't even think it's that's a joke. an issue. I just think this year. I don't know why. It's probably because the the Premier League and the TV companies have got that much to think about with how many games they've got to to show. Um, that they've probably just forgot a little bit, and it sort of has slipped their mind that that it's um, that it's hard for for players to play every you know barely even three days because Man United probably arrived back sort of midday uh, Thursday. Had Friday to prepare, and then they're playing Saturday Saturday morning. You know, you've got to get to Everton. What's that? An hour on the coach, so you have to probably set off at nine, get there at ten, and play at half twelve. So, it it is stupid. I can't even um, I can't stick up for, for the Premier League schedule in there. But for me, there's no reason why they couldn't have played at half twelve on on uh, Sunday. You know, the earlier game on the on the Sunday um, schedule instead of uh, West Brom. Tottenham and even them, even they played too too um, too soon. And then you look at you know Arsenal and Aston Villa, and it's, it's just I don't know. It's just it's silly. Like Saturday, you've got. I mean, why did Newcastle and, and Southampton play on Friday? We didn't. We didn't need to. Could could somebody else have not played that game? Um, that they need. I, I don't know. It's the whole thing silly. Like it's, 
just yeah it's just stupid absolutely bang on marley you're, you're spot on there because that is a disgrace and i understand solskjaer's anger although actually i thought it was really interesting we saw a flash of anger there from solskjaer because i think he's got a point the way he said that the authorities have set manchester united up to fail i think so i think that's a fascinating quote from him because certainly the best teams in the country are the ones that are playing european football and i don't think you can you can deny that they've qualified for europe off their own backs because they've deserved to be so at the end yeah. of last season so then making them travel and it's not like it is a trip to Belgium or France for Manchester United it was Turkey it's pretty much as far away as you can go bar the Ukraine or Russia in the Champions League and so you know they've they've had that four-hour flight back they were back in on Thursday morning then they had Friday and then the Saturday kickoff time and it is a disgrace they shouldn't be a, that shouldn't be the problem I understand Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola being frustrated about that but being frustrated about making five substitutions when Pep made one and Klopp only made two. So, and these are the two teams with the best squads. They should have the biggest squads because arguably they'd have the biggest resources. So they should be more able to rotate. I just mm. find, I find it, I find it baffling. The school of thought from Pep Guardiola after the game was about five substitutions. When Jurgen Klopp mentioned about the scheduling, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer mentioned about the scheduling and Pep's banging on about substitutions. Like, surely the scheduling is as big an issue as the substitutions are. And if you are going to say that, it's just hypocritical to sit there after you've made one substitution, your counterparts made two, to then complain you don't have enough subs. I think the reason, when we talked about this before, and we talked about the potential inclusion of the five-sub rule into the Premier League, when we talked about that months ago now, our general consensus was you can kind of see the benefits, but at the same time, those benefits are largely there for the bigger Premier League teams. So those teams that are playing in Europe who have bigger squads because they are playing in Europe and should be able to cope with that. So if if they introduce, I mean, what can be done? Because obviously you can pay more attention to scheduling. They can't reduce the amount of games or the amount of competitions now because that's that's locked in. They probably should have got rid of the League Cup, but they didn't. That's what we've got to live with now. But they could have... They could be more considerate as to which TVs they pick for which television slots. So, yeah, that's a given. But they're not going to be able to reduce the number of fixtures. That's stuck. They could potentially introduce a five-sub rule for the latter half of the season. There's no real reason why they couldn't think about doing that. That probably wouldn't impact the games that have been too much and provide a fun for advantage that way. But it would provide an unfair advantage to those teams with big squads now. What were Tottenham playing at the start of the season? Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. That's what Tottenham were playing at the start of the season because they had to qualify for the Europa League mm. through the qualification phases. And yet, where are they? Near the top of the league. Does it make sense? No, not really. Mm. Jose Mourinho would like a bigger squad. He would like a better squad. He made nine changes in the Europa League a couple of weeks well, ago has, against has, Antwerp has, and they lost. So has so, he managed his squad better? Has he managed that better then? As Jose Mourinho got the secret. The fact that Tottenham were playing on such a regular basis at the start of the season is the due to the fact that we are chasing our tails because of the time lost due to the coronavirus lockdown period and the time away from the game. That is the problem. That is the reason. And that is just the way this season's going to be. I understand Pep saying we have to protect the players. I totally agree because, as I said earlier, the game is far more intense physically than it used to be. It's more televised now. The broadcasting has gone through the roof. The money, majority of the money comes through broadcasting mm. of the modern game. The pro is you get the money. The con is it's bad for the players. Now, yeah, we do need to protect these players. But Manchester City should have a big enough squad. Now, they've got their injuries. That's just unlucky. FA Cup replays, they've been scrapped. 
those games go straight to extra time and penalties. There's no replay. You don't have to travel to the other side of the country to play a, a cup game again. That's gone, right? Which will mm. benefit Premier League clubs in January when the third round comes around. It's the international breaks, which I think the managers should be getting angry at, which is what Jose Mourinho got angry at because, you know, we've got these Nations League games, which are competitive games, and they're still arranging friendlies. Like, yeah, that makes no sense. England have a friendly with the Republic of Ireland. What's that all about? We don't need to play Ireland. We've got two Nations League games. Like, and you're talking about the fact that there's too many games of football. Why not focus your anger and your attention at the international scene? No one cares about international football anyway until it's a Euros or a World Cup. So why are you arranging friendlies? Because you just know what's going to happen. Trent Alexander-Arnold got injured for Liverpool at the weekend, right? You just know something's going to happen in the England game against Ireland. Something's going to happen. One of the key players is going to get injured during this international break for one of these clubs. It's just unnecessary to have extra friendlies. The whole point of the Nations League was to get rid of them. So that's where my anger's focused. My anger's focused there because English football, the reason it is so difficult and so intense is because of our scheduling. And so we've got these managers like Klopp and Pep who are used to managing in Germany and Spain. They should be used to it by now, but that is what you get with the English game. We play more fixtures. We have more cup competitions. We have a bigger pyramid. That's our culture. That's our style. That's our pyramid. It's the way it goes. And so you've just got to get on with it. You can disagree with it, but no one's going to change it just because two foreign managers who have been unbelievably successful have got an opinion on it. I just, I just don't, I don't get it. I understand fixture scheduling is a problem, but it's the scheduling... Not the amount of games that's the problem. It's another Nile classic rant. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> it's, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna get a little jingle made up for you now when you go on these little rants about stuff. Um, unfortunately, that went on for so long. We've got not got time to look at the two things we were going to look at. One of which was where the league is at the moment, whether the teams like Leicester and Southampton at the top and the teams at the bottom like West Brom and Burnley are going to stay there for the season. So we're going to put a pin in that and come back to it later in the week. Or Snow, uh, Marley wanted to have a little rant about Newcastle, but we're going to have to do that later in the week as well, Marley. So you're going to have to bottle your anger for now. No, 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 no let we, him, We've let not him. got time. We've I've had my rant, let gonna, him. We're going to yeah, save we have. it. There's always <laughs> time on the show. for later in the week, because we are going to speak to next. We're it means to... I've I've now got to store up this rant for the last four, for the, for four days now, and I'm on tomorrow, so I want us to do it then. There we go. You can do it then instead. <laughs> we'll make sure we put time aside. It's been aside. on the tip of my brain since Friday night. <laughs> there you go. Make sure you click subscribe to the podcast. Ruin my weekend. And you can hear Marley venting about Newcastle United, and I'm imagining Steve Bruce as well tomorrow on the podcast. But next, we are going to talk more about Arsenal. We're going to speak to Michael from You Are My Arsenal for our Floodlight Focus feature, and we're going to do that next. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily and we're going to talk Arsenal again because we're talking about the Gunners with Michael from You Are My Arsenal. How are you doing, Michael? All right, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. You sound remarkably chipper given the result in the game last night. Well, I, I, I say this and this is a saying that I use all the time when it comes to Arsenal and it's this is going to sound really strange. There was a quote by Lord Byron that says, if I laugh at any mortal thing, tis that I may not weep. So... Uh, <laughs> That's the mentality I take. Wow. That's, that's the most intelligent yeah. thing I've heard. It's the uh, old school translation of, if I don't laugh, I'll bloody cry. That's what he's saying. <laughs> it, is exactly, it is exactly that. And, and that, 
honestly, I've been that way for Arsenal for, for, for a while. So. I was going to say, in general, things have been a little bit more positive or certainly felt more positive in North London over the last couple of months. And I know you, as an individual, you've been very outspoken about the current owners. You started petitions against them. You were quite keen on the removal of Emery when he was manager as well. And a lot of that criticism's come because you didn't feel like there was a plan at Arsenal going forward. Do you still feel like that's the case or is it beginning to take shape? I am I've I'm now of the mindset that there's a clear plan. Uh that there is a plan to first reestablish a culture at the club, something that was lacking under Emery, even lacking in the waning um years of Arsene Wenger. Um, there is a plan in place. There's a, a trying to reestablish that culture of what's expected from the club, from the players, from management. And, 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 and the, the unfortunate thing is that that's a process that's going to take time. It's, it's 11 months into the new manager's reign and We've not been, I mean, this summer because of COVID, we were not able to shift as many of the players out that we needed to shift out, which probably would have allowed us to brought a little bit more in. Um, and, and I think you still have whole scale changes that need to occur with this team. Michael, I think that I was a pretty scathing about Arsenal earlier on in the podcast and I seem to have died down a little bit now. So might be a good thing for this question. I said earlier this week that I feel that you can see direction for Arsenal you know the way that they're trying to go like you say there seems to be a clear plan in place it does also feel like in terms of results they are treading water a little bit I said before the weekend that you'd expect Arsenal to beat Aston Villa but I wouldn't be surprised if they lost and that was the case they obviously lost quite heavily so do you feel that that's a fair assessment from me I feel that Arsenal they're on the right path they just need someone to give them a push from behind to get them really going I, I do. I do really believe that this club is on the right path. I believe the team is on the right path. Um, I think that the issues, the, the stuff that, that are, t I mean, outside of the personnel issues, getting the right people in, the players that he have has have to come along for the ride. And, and I'd look at yesterday's match, and, and if I were a coach, I, uh, people, they would have been ducking from things that I would have been throwing at them <laughs> in the dressing room because – Arteta said in the post game yesterday, he didn't, from the first time he came uh, to the club, he said, I didn't recognize that team out on the field yesterday. Because, and I agree with him, because I don't see, I, yesterday, I didn't see any of the concepts that he has tried to brought in. The defensively, later in the game, we, the structure was gone. Um, there was no. Uh, you look at the United match, and United, I actually thought, even though it was only a 1 0 game, I thought structurally we were sound. We looked the better team. We looked the, the more threatening mm. team. That wasn't there at all yesterday. And 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 I, I just think it's a bigger. It, there there are shoots of progress, but this is a process that took teams like Liverpool five years to get to where they are now, right? We, we're not gonna. I I, I I I wanted more, but I also think that. I've stated recently that I think the FA Cup win was probably – it was great to win a title. And I want to make sure I say this right now, make sure you know you or your listeners understand it. It was not a good thing for expectations around Arsenal because I think suddenly because 
we were able to win the FA Cup, people thought, oh, well, hey, we're going to be challenging right away next season. It, it's just not that easy. Yes, you think that there's something to build on. There's a foundation to build on. But I still think that there was still such a long road to go with this club, with this team. And there's just too many people to shift and move. It's interesting you talk about players coming along for the journey because I wonder how long that journey is going to be for Pepe now because we know Emery never really wanted him. He doesn't seem to fit particularly into Arteta's plans. And for a player that was lauded as such a great signing at the time, it feels like he could be on the way out of the club fairly soon. Yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised if we if we, if we we try to sell him next summer. I, I And I don't think it's anything to do with him per se. I just don't think he fits into what he's trying to do um i i still look at him as a i i, I can't remember how old he is right now I'm, I'm it's it's too early in the morning for me right now. but um i i just not so sure that he fits that that role a little bit right now and and i say that with a couple of the players but i think with mm-hmm. pepe i i just think that maybe he's better off where he can be uh, in a counter-attacking side where it's solely about the counter-attacking where he can get on the ball at you with pace. I just don't – and look, the other thing he's up against, you know, and I know we talk about transition from league to league, but, you know, I, I ha, I, I've never been one that always places the Premier League on this pedestal, but I do think that the quality of players throughout the league is probably the best assortment of players you, you will face week in and week out. And I think the defenders that we have in this league are, are usually probably – better one through 20 teams than you are when you're in the French league, if you will. Do you think um, creativity's, you know, been a bit of a bit of an issue lately, um, specifically from sort of central midfield areas? You've got, you know, Thomas Partey does the job more, more of a ball winner. Um, do you think alongside him, is that what you're lacking? Somebody you can and see a pass and then... If that is the issue, is there not a case for for Meza Ozil to be in, at least in the Premier League squad to give you an option um, in the in the sort of coming months? Let let me take both issues separately, but they'll kind of play to each other. First, let's talk about the lack of creativity. I do think that the link from Partey or that deep midfield, the, there is a huge gap in, in in the field between him and the forwards, um, and. And it's 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 fairly evident in almost every match. You can see it. Like there's this always. I always look at it. There's this just big chunk of grass in the middle of the pitch, where there's nobody, and we're forcing play out wide. And and that makes us predictable. You know, players know that teams now know that we don't have that that link in the midfield. So everything's got to be forced out wide. So they can they can set us up in, in a low block, and they could just keep us out there, and there's just nobody to play through the lines, right? There's nobody. So Partey wins the ball from, you know, or receives the ball from the back four. He's there in transition, drives into pressure, and then has to play, display the ball out wide. That's it. That That is exactly what you see. Um, you don't see that ability for somebody floating in the space, looking in the gaps between the midfield and, and the back four to get the ball and then put the ball into space behind the line. So we're, we're depending on long through balls, balls over the top, 
and, and, and not those quick through balls between the gaps that you would see from a creative midfielder sitting in that space. So, yes, I absolutely think the one, in the attack, the bigger issue, the biggest issue is the lack of a creative midfielder, whether that's that traditional 10 role or the new creative midfield role that, you know, kind of Pep uses. And obviously you kind of think that Arteta wants to use. Just building on the Ozil point, Michael, um, Arteta said that he failed the situation he failed the club with the situation regarding Ozil do you think that he was referring to himself in terms of he couldn't get the best out of Ozil or do you think that maybe he was referring to the player himself uh, let, 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 let's it's, it's all together so let me take a look at this I think Mesut Ozil's biggest problem in a system that Arteta's trying to use is there is no defensive side to his game right so when you play him you 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 tend to see when they're when the balls are treating into our into our third, you tend to see that that area is getting overrun, and so if he's trying to establish a press, you're not getting that press from that that role, right? So mm-hmm. and I think that's where he's, I think where Arteta might be talking about his failure to get the best out of a player. Uh, is trying to get him to understand that concept of why we need you to press and getting him to press, right? So therefore, he's just not able to do it. He won't do it. Uh, and look, Mezidos is an older player. He knows his game. His game isn't – he's not going to – he doesn't give you those those bursts of energy that you need from a press. He wants to kind of – you know, we always used to say it. Mesodozel wasn't going to you weren't you were you're gonna go like forty five minutes not seeing Mesodozel on the pitch and then suddenly he's gonna get the ball and he's gonna make that beautiful pass into a striker or to a to a wide player mm-hmm. that they're gonna run on to. That's his game, right? Finding that space, finding those those half spaces, finding and opening up gaps with his movement mm-hmm. that but expecting him to get back on the ball and defend is just not who he is. And, and, and look, that's what Arteta wants. And, and if you're not going to be able to give it, you're not going to play. Now, I, I also think that the reason why, look, Arteta came in and from day one and said this. There are non-negotiables, right, that I expect from every one of my players. And that the work ethic and the, the ability in the game and in is necessary for you to play. And I think Mezit, being who he is, went through his Arteta's first through months through pre-COVID, getting a fair analysis by the coach, and then come this come come COVID, he said, you know, what? I'm not getting what I need from Ozil, and I'm not going to use him. Now, I, I'm not so sure that I would have kept him out of the Premier. Okay, so maybe the Europa League squad, yeah, fine, right? You're not going to run into much trouble anyway, right? Creatively. But for the Premier League squad, I, maybe I, I kept him in, but you just don't start, you know. Um, it, I, it, it's, and, and I, I'm a guy who, who so, it, admittedly is a Mesodozo fan. I love what the guy can bring, but I also agree with the coach, the manager, that once you establish, once you're trying to establish a culture, if you come back on your, on on your own words. Mm. You, 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 you lose credibility with the players that you're trying to get in the line. So he's established that it doesn't matter who you are. Mm. Uh, if you don't do what I need, you're not going to play. And he's established that with Mesut Ozil. If he were to retreat on that now, he'd have no credibility in that dressing room. 
It does feel like potentially the healthiest thing for the football club right now might be to stop talking about Messers, <laughs> if I'm honest. It feels like it might be time to move on from that particular conversation. Michael, as always, fascinating to talk to you about Arsenal. Uh, if you want to find more from You Are My Arsenal, where can they head? Well, you can check us out on Twitter at, at You Are My Arsenal or on our, our, our website, which is YouAreMyArsenal.com. Top man, Michael, and good luck for the season. All right, guys. Thank you. And that is it for Football Social Daily. Don't forget, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you know what? We've not had a review on this podcast in absolutely ages. So make sure you leave a few comments on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. And you might get a shout out on the podcast later on this week. But Niall, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Definitely subscribe because then you won't miss Marley talking about old cabbage head Steve Bruce. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Got to keep your anger bottled up till later in the week. Tomorrow, you can hear the full rant from Marley. <laughs> I'm just trying to make him more angry. <laughs> we'll look forward to that, Marley. Yeah, well, I, I don't even know what that impression was, but, you know, it has, it's just wound me up slightly more. So, yeah, tune, tune in tomorrow. <laughs> Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.